0: you're listening to the young people in the arts podcast talks discussions and thinking intended to power change in the next generation of arts leaders to find out more visit ypia.co.uk follow ypia underscore uk on twitter or alternatively find us on facebook or instagram Hello, you're listening to the Young People in the Arts podcast. Young People in the Arts is an art sector community of young professionals who meet regularly to explore industry-wide issues, usually followed by networking drinks. Whilst all of us continue to adjust to the impact of lockdown and life after it, YPIA directors have been busy exploring its archive of events, including early recordings of some of our great speakers and panellists. In the series that follows, the YPIA have curated events for you to listen to on demand, including former Classic FM Managing Director Sam Jackson's intern-to-CEO talk and panel discussions on arts and the environment, and the art of programming. In this episode, we're focusing on arts and the environment, revisiting an event stage at the Jerwood Space in London in February 2020, where a panel of arts professionals led the conversation on what arts organisations and creatives can do to demand and possibly even implement sustainable change. In this hour-long episode, you'll hear from Lorenzo Belenga, a Visual Artist, Curator and Extinction Rebellion Arts and Culture Media Coordinator, Katie Haynes, Head of Marketing and Development at Arts Admin, and Bridget McKenzie, Director of Flow Associates and Founding Director of Climate Museum UK. The discussion is chaired by YPIA project manager, volunteer Guy Carr, who works in the events team at the British Museum.
1: Head of Marketing and Development uh, at Arts Admin. Um, uh, arts Admin was founded 40 years ago, and over the last 10 years, um, our focus has really been uh, very much on sustainability. Uh, we're an arts producing organisation, and we're a touring organisation, and we support artists in all sorts of ways. So it's, uh, for us, a really interesting uh, experience to be a touring organisation that also thinks about sustainability. We also run a building over in in East London, uh, a five-storey building uh, full of studios and tenants, other arts organisations. So we've been thinking a lot about how we run our building, how we influence the arts artists and arts professionals, and dancers and performers that come into our building and use it every day, um, as well as how we deliver our programmes. But particularly, uh, we've been working uh, very closely with artists over the past 10 years to produce, to commission um, uh, works that like, explore and communicate and encourage people to take practical action uh, around issues uh, about climate action and the climate crisis uh this year um as i mentioned uh, we're really excited to be collaborating with jews bicycle um uh some of you may Jews bicycle um uh, because they're an arts council support organization sorry. Um, but specializing in climate and sustainability um, and we're collaborating with them on something called season for change which i encourage you all to get involved in if you can um it will be a, a major cultural campaign happening nationwide uh, supported by the arts council which involves a series of commissions happening across england but also a, a program to kind of empower artists and cultural professionals to like Uh, deliver their programs more sustainably but also give them the confidence to kind of work uh, with artists and with the community to talk about the climate change issues that are going on right now so
2: yeah okay is that on can you hear me yes okay so um i've actually got several hats it's hard to count them four or five so i'm just going to quickly run through them so, Hat One is um, Director of Flow Associates, which I've been doing for 16 years after being Education Officer for Tate and Head of Learning for the British Library. So, um, my background is cultural learning, and I've been doing consultancy and research in that area. Um, and a current typical example is that I'm working with the Arts Council on developing a national young people's visual arts scheme. So, that's quite a you know it's quite a challenging hat but um, i'm also developing a climate museum for the uk so this um, is a cic a community interest company it's a different kind of model um, it's not like a classic sort of charitable organization which becomes an accredited museum so we're an activist museum we are essentially um, collecting the contemporary response to the climate and ecological emergency <laughs> And supporting people to um, to uh, not embrace it uh, to to face it to um, to, and to resist it. Um, And then the third hat is that I'm um, a founder member and very active still in Culture Declares Emergency. So that's my swallow patch. Um, We launched in April last year, um, and we're getting. Uh, um, individuals and organizations in the arts and culture sector to declare emergency and then to take follow-up action and it has three dimensions it's about facing the truth taking action and seeking justice Um, and uh, I'll talk more about it maybe in questions the fourth hat is that I'm a trustee advisor for culture unstained and I've been involved for the last ten or so years in activism and also background research and strategy to end fossil fuel sponsorship of culture. Um, Other hats are trustee of Onka Gallery which is a brilliant um, ecological and and socially socially engaged arts organisation in Brighton and I also like to try and call myself an artist but how I have time for that I don't know. Um, so, well, that's, yeah, sorry,
3: it's a long introduction. <laughs> oh, I've got it? Okay. My name is uh, Lorenzo Belengue. Apologies for my accent. Still 20 years in this country is not going away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, I'm a visual artist. Uh, as a visual artist, I work very much into the reclaiming reclaiming metal objects, uh, paintings that represent European paintings, traditional European paintings about integral power. So that's kind of as, an, as a visual artist, and also reclaiming the role of the human within the natural ecosystem. With shamanic cultures, ancient cultures, we knew very well, and we lost it. Just going back into those cultures, this way of we are part of the ecosystem. I used to run an art gallery for seven years in London. I did a project for the Olympics, and now I'm the culture, uh, an arts and culture coordinator. Extinction Rebellion. Uh, climate change activism has sparked the biggest art movement in the history of mankind. In the 60s, you know, we have minimalism, we have conceptualism, but the biggest ever, I think is now, which is climate change, is the way artists are responding to the biggest threat. And Extinction Rebellion is the natural home because it's rebellion, you know, and artists have rebe- rebelled against the system, and everything so my role is in a bit of the medium because usually uh, when you hear about rebellion you know about people uh, blocking roads blocking bridges which always gets in the news but sometimes what the artists do like murals performances which are amazing doesn't get through it so my role is to facilitate a a voice for the artists to be out there uh, and to facilitate
4: the like, creativity of those people. Thank you. And um, so I thought, I guess first question, fairly general, I guess if you could each just unpack a little bit what your thoughts on what arts, how the way that art can move towards a more sustainable future, how, how do you see that way?
3: Yeah, I would say that arts are beyond, because everybody likes the art, everybody likes a painting, everybody likes watching a film, Art is beyond politics, art is beyond anything. So access to a much bigger audience than any other medium. And that I think is one of the biggest, one of the most powerful things of the art. Even some parts of the media who are very hostile to extinction rebellion or you know, imperial culture abstain because we are telling the truth. They are very friendly to artists. So we are a like the Trojan horse that we get to be the um,
2: Okay, I tend to talk about culture more than I talk about art, um, because I think culture is a more inclusive term. Yes, it's a bit woolly, but um, I try to define culture as um, all the means of expression, inquiry, creation, and critique um, of the ways that humanity interacts with um, hu- humanity, other species, and the wider environment. So actually, culture is all about the environment, and um, culture is also about diversity, and within culture is what we might call the arts, but it's actually very multiple. There's lots and lots of things that you might elevate as the arts, perhaps, But I'm kind of interested in the ordinary practices of art and the intersections of art and design. Um, And I do think that those intersections and edges and also the kind of past traditions or the indigenous traditions of culture are where we find really interesting material for um, for future application. And um, so, you know, I tend to take a very broad view and always try to map, you know, and challenge people when they're narrowing the definitions of culture it's not just about serving the scientists to communicate messages better it's not just about serving protests to make it more fun you know art has culture has many purposes in this crisis it's to do with um, understanding how we got here um, giving us some kind of comfort and um, therapy for where we are Now, how we feel, and it's then about imagining the future and designing um, and completely dismantling the systems that are dominating our world. You know, we need to create a regenerative culture. So, yeah.
1: Um, Well, yeah, I would definitely uh, agree with all of what you've said, but like adding to that, I think one thing that uh, we're particularly interested in in terms of season for change, like we kind of we feel um, as, as arts organisations as a sector that the arts that like, has huge power in terms of changing people's perceptions, in terms of you know making us stop in our tracks, reducing us to tears, or making us laugh, and like stirring up all sorts of emotions. But I think arts also and the sort of cultural sector and the cultural work that we do has the ability to reach out to communities that might um, I suppose uh, not otherwise engage in this conversation around climate and that's particularly what we're interested in doing with Season for Change. The 15 commissions that we're doing are all kind of working with artists from marginalised groups, um, specifically working with uh, disabled artists, people of colour, etc. and also reaching out to communities that I suppose like The Guardian and the BBC don't get to. um, And working with quiets and Gateshead uh, street parties on council estates in Leeds, uh, women over 60 in tower hamlets um, who are isolated. So the aim of the commissions is to kind of like engage people in that world debate, and I think that arts has the ability to kind of reach that much further than perhaps the media and science can.
4: Yeah, that was uh, almost my next question, really. In a way, was it, so do you think that that art can reach reach people that politics can't? Is it more? Is there something more inclusive about it, or, or uh, more accessible?
2: <laughs> You've got that? Yeah. Oh, do you, you ask No, you want to, no. Shall I just yeah. start? Yeah, no, okay. Okay, <laughs> hey, I haven't got a ready answer. <laughs> ah. um, so, uh, um, art is both more accessible and more inaccessible, and it absolutely depends how experiences or projects are designed, And how people are invited and the qualities of the conditions of of making and participation um, and the ways that we interpret so you know we all need the, the most important challenge for us is to develop the skills and capacities across the cultural sector to make art always much more inclusive, much more accessible, much more purposeful, to always make connections with people's lives, and also, you know, to maybe sometimes um, the kind of participatory, ordinary arts are quite often about just doing what people want to do. And I think we need to, you know, make connections outwards and pull people out towards understanding science, understanding the big systems, um, and, and really working hard to change their lives. So, you know, yeah, artists, yeah, it's a kind of complex question, but the big answer is it's all about how we do it. It's the quality of it. No <laughs> yeah. um, and I think,
1: in addition to the quality of it, I also think there's an element of thinking about the kind of the subtlety. Um, no one likes being told what to do. And no one likes to be told to do something differently. But what we found with like some of the previous projects and commissions that we've worked on that have had a particular impact on people and sort of really changed their perceptions as they've walked out of that experience um, are projects where people have kind of been, I don't know, for example, we worked uh, with an artist called Zoe Svenson on something called Girl Factory and you were put in a factory, a clothes factory, as if you were in a factory in China and you were made uh, sort of, uh, to make the decisions about how to keep the business running, <clears throat> how to continue making profit, but also work, you were surrounded by the workers who were actors who were all working, kind of hell for leather, um, uh, to uh, kind of get uh, the clothes made in that certain time. And you had to make decisions about, do I make them work 16 hour a day in order to double our profits for this week? question. And when you get asked those kind of ethical questions about things, you're suddenly put into a situation where you think, actually, things things could be different. Um, and I think there's a subtlety to that, and I don't think it's about um, preaching, and I don't think it's about telling people to recycle. And I think that artists can be far more cunning and far more clever than that. And that's the kind of, yeah, the, the, the power that we have in this sector.
3: Yeah. I, I would say that um, within the arts and performing arts, is being crucial and important because in the, it's in the streets. For instance, a lot of participants, people that will never participate in the art. Uh, for instance, we have the red rebel brigade. Anybody can put on, on a red dress with all and paint their face in white. And there is no script because it's silent. So you join the red rebel, anybody can do it. And then when there is a protest, there is a performance, there is a demonstration, you, you join them and you follow them. So and then the, the power thing is because they don't say anything, they don't answer back, they de-escalate tension. So when the police is present in a protest, the Red Rebels have the power to calm down and then de-escalate. So I would say that within the arts, perhaps performance arts, and become really strong uh, one of the most powerful tools and also visually they are stunning they create these amazing images in an era where you know you have instagram you have the constant news so it goes quickly into the all the you know the bbc the mail the newspaper.
4: so that's how we that. so i suppose there is, seems to be quite a lot of overlap here between creativity and activism um so i, I suppose where do you where do you see that overlap being? What what role does a creative project have within an activist group? Can you I mean that was a great example, but um, I suppose do you have any others and, and what uh, yeah, how do you how do you see that overlap working and what role does it play? Can I go first? <laughs> <Shall> I <do? laughs> all right. <clears throat> the waffler <laughs> <laughs> goes first. Um, so
2: I've got two things to mention. One is that as Climate Museum UK, um, okay, we are an activist museum. We actually won the Activist Museum Award. So um, this is really interesting because it means that we have to navigate um, the, the political and the cultural. Um, so as a CIC, it, legally, we're not allowed to be political. Um, but we can be activist by um, supporting activism and by amplifying the activism of others and by collecting it um, and also by reinforcing absolutely key ethics to do with justice. So um, you know it's, it's ethical activism um, and you know really the best art has always been about ethical activism because it's always about increasing the quality of relationships between people and the environment. Um, So that that leads me to the second point, which is the value, um, and I think unrecognised value, of the ecological arts. So we have this kind of blindness to a whole arising sector of arts practice, which is eco-socially engaged arts. We hear a lot of socially engaged arts, but there's no definition, no funding for eco-socially or ecological arts. and so that kind of practice is actually um, you know, regenerating the planet through art. And a great old example is Joseph Boyce, who planted oak trees in their multitudes. And we now have, following in his footsteps, um, Ackroyd and Harvey, who are planting his acorns and distributing them everywhere. And they want to create a kind of cultural land trust. So you know, this is the kind of prefigurative and regenerative activism. That the arts can um, start to be, yeah. Um. I think,
1: uh, um, leading on from what you were saying about the kind of um, uh, possible controversy caused particularly to funders, for example, as somebody who works in like a charity and uh, an arts council funded organisation, like if we overuse the word activism, like especially in funding applications to trust and foundations, and I work on fundraising, so um, we have to be like more focused on action, say for example, um, or something which, one of our like themes of Season for Change is about like the power of telling the truth, um, <laughs> um, rather than activism per se. Um, but getting out there and doing things, but um, yeah, we have a particular, I suppose, like, um, yeah, we have to really think about how we use the word activism, when we use it, and if we, and like what we mean with it, or whatever, but certainly the artists that we work with can do that, so yes.
3: <laughs> and, and, and I will add to what's happening already, that, getting that uh, workshops are uh, Perfect way to reach our communities that usually will not uh, get involved in that. And the other thing, also, is there are people from ethnic minorities or plus communities that won't feel that they will be very comfortable going to a protest, going to a demonstration, mm-hmm. but being part of the art, being part of a performance, being part of painting a mural, being part of creating a workshop, they feel safe. And they have been an activist in a safe way, so that includes other part of the population that feels insecure, and
4: that's a very, very far from the safe way to participate. So I suppose also, I mean, a lot of people might feel that uh, art for, you know, what about art for art's sake or creativity for creativity's sake? Does it does it always need to have a political angle? People might sometimes feel uh, and. I suppose what would you say to that? Does does art and creativity have a responsibility to engage in social issues, I guess, particularly to do with climate change?
2: I seem to always (laughs) something (laughs) to say, (laughs) first of all. So, I think there's a huge amount of value in creating space for pure creativity, and that might include things like spiritual, um, um, you know, what am I trying to say, psychedelic experiences or um, just enabling play for the sake of play um, because we have to practise it at being playful. You know, it's practised out of us in school. So, um, and we also need to develop virtuosity and skill. So art for art's sake is vital as long as, or as well as we also um, apply it it's about ensuring a balance really between you know pure play and well a spectrum you know pure play right through to um, absolutely you know applied design um, applying the imagination to all kinds of professions so um, yeah both is the answer isn't it. Yeah.
3: Uh, I would say that, art, uh, for instance, in the 90s or so in 2000, was a commodity. It was an investment. It was before the boom years, so people would buy anything because it would go up in money. Now we cannot afford that. We have to be, we have to be engaged. We have to be activists. It doesn't have to be always political, but it has to be about how we are going to make a better world, and you have to be now. You we know, like we have 10 years to do it. So we cannot afford to make art just have a good time. We have to really engage and tell and communicate what's going on and the urgency to tackle this crisis.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I think what's particularly interesting, like, uh, so Arts Admin has organised uh, six uh, festivals um, called Two Degrees Festival, which have been focused on art and climate change. Now it's more like 1.5 degrees. Um, so 12 years ago, uh, things were a little different. Um, and um, during the course of these biennial festivals, the number of submissions that come in from artists and the interest in being involved in that festival has increased so much. We get approached so much with, um, I suppose like, what we have seen is more and more artists interested in this issue and interested in talking about it, doing art about it, reacting to it, um, at Moon we generally work with artists who are responding to contemporary issues and like thinking about the world and wanting to use their art to change the world. I know that sounds really cringy, but um, <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, we are seeing increasingly artists interested in this just because it is relevant now. So, yeah.
4: brilliant. And I suppose when you're when you're programming or when you're creating a, what uh, what do you think works well? in terms of creating an impact and changing people's perceptions? Do you think, I mean, sometimes you see, you see sort of shock tactics or tactics to scare being used and sometimes it's more uh, encouraging participation or encouraging personal action or a commitment to a change in lifestyle or something. So do you see a lot of variation there? What, what do you look for or what do you think works well? Is there a bit of both?
1: Um, I would say that one thing we are doing as part of Season for Change is like uh, doing a sort of big evaluation project linked to that just because we haven't actually found, we have done bits of surveying along the way through our climate related work on whether cultural projects do have an impact on perception and do actually inspire action. Um, to all sorts of audiences but with this season for change project because we have 15 commissions across the UK we're able to do um, much work with cast and audience agency to do much wider surveying to kind of better understand perception change because I think there is a little bit of a grey area there in terms of like actual kind of data like there are no data sets on it so um, we know stuff anecdotally but I don't think we have the data set to strengthen that which is a key thing for funders and a key thing for kind of, um, yeah, arts policy and growth in that direction.
2: Sorry, yeah, I'll follow that because I've been doing evaluation for 15 years (laughs) and um, struggling with most projects to really concretely demonstrate impact and that's usually because of the short term way that projects are designed and the way that you have to report to funders. Um, But um, and for example, we've been evaluating for Invisible Dust, which is the Arts Council's only art, um, environmental art organization, as an NPO. Um, so quite often, there's a feeling that, um, you know, audiences come in and out and you don't retain connection with them to really understand how it's changed their lives. And also I think there's a huge issue where change, you know, we have to understand how change happens. Change happens because people see Facebook adverts, change happens because of how um, conversation happens, arises out of media, change happens because of David Attenborough on, you know, TV, the Blue Planet. So, you know, what can art do if it doesn't have that kind of mass reach and impact? Maybe it should be having that kind of mass reach and impact. Um, But it comes back to what I said about the quality of, of interactions so you know instead of looking for um, impact in behavior change on a mass scale we need to be looking at the quality of conditions you know how how is this place better at inviting people and asking people what they want to change about their world you know it's it's much more about how we change the quality of um, um, Educator, education, you know, so that arts education is more purposeful and adapting to change. Um, you know, that would be impactful. Um, you, I would need to ha- a whole other event to
3: talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I would add to that obviously getting media attention and getting social media attention. Uh, for instance, you know, video uh, or a VP, Katja Stain has been very good at that. Uh, let's say BB Portrait of the Year, screenwashing. washing simple as like that. Uh, there was a performer, there were three people, they undressed uh, during the Big Portrait exhibition, and someone started dropping fake oil on them, and got in the news, and it got so into social media, into all the newspapers, that at that moment, the director of the uh, Portrait Gallery said, we are not hosting the BB Portrait anymore. So that's a big change. And that is a change reaction to other museums, other galleries, Serpentine's gallery, about the the opium, so that's the way artists can play really well, social media and media attention.
4: Thank you. Um, It's interesting you brought up sponsorship. I was going to mention that. I I suppose a lot of people might feel that um, in, in some cases, uh, having having sponsorship from, from a variety of sources is important to keeping arts organisations going. Um, do you think having sponsorship from oil companies is ever defensible?
2: Good
1: question. <laughs> um, uh, um, I mean, we've had an ethical fundraising policy in place since 2015 we've been very vocal in the sector about that and we have tried very hard to promote that yes this means we have probably missed out on a hell of a lot of money um, <laughs> and it does it is really we do an ethical check on every trust foundation and any individual that gives us more than a thousand pounds it is some work but for us it's really important that any any funder is aligned with our values and our sustainability is one of our values so it's just kind of yeah, it just it's it, um, it it just wouldn't work for us in that way. But like um, no, I don't think it is. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, but I do think um, that there are exciting collaborations to be had and it's really exciting that more and more um, like commercial um, kind of companies out there are looking to kind of become more sustainable and I hope that that could lead to more kind of interesting partnerships with arts and cultural organisation and much more collaboration there and kind of funding as well for the arts from uh, we're particularly looking at B Corps and stuff like that and how they can support the arts and cultural sector
2: Okay, so uh, this might sound quite provocative, but I would say that the fossil fuel industries are possibly, um, by order of magnitude, the biggest criminals the world has ever seen. And they are, you know, they way outstrip tobacco, um, they are maybe equivalent to arms industries. But the arms industries and the oil industries are very interlinked, you know, quite a lot of wars are to do with oil resources. It's, you know, it's all very entangled. But essentially, oil and arms sponsors, I think, are always indefensible and particularly when the relationship enables the oil company to seek um, social license to operate, when they are funding education and when they are um, having influence on the content, um, so I'm not hugely purist. I think you know, if it's a car company or something, then you know it's all about the context and the negotiation. But I think there is an absolute red line to be drawn with fossil fuel companies.
3: Yeah, I would say that. I mean, I understand that museums and art institutions are very cash-strapped and. They need money, and the money sometimes goes to outreach other communities, beautiful projects, but we can't keep going like that. Simple as like that. It's just impossible, so we have to really move on. You know, for fossil fuels,
4: which is your saying, this just we can't accept it anymore. You know? Simple as like that. Thank you. And I suppose my next question was along the lines of if there's a what, what about what would you say to people that might like, say, you know, culture, culture is just culture. What we need in the face of this challenge is, is science or politics, and you know, can cannot really help us here in, in the, the challenges that we have faces. Well, I would, I would say that we you
3: start dropping data to people, people block you. Simple as that. You know, we have the Brexit campaign, the Brexit campaign, there was. The pro-European people are starting in data, saying, "You know, we Europe. This is the. It's going to affect the economy. It's going to affect that, and it went nowhere." So, scientific facts is important because it, 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 this is my argument, but it doesn't get through the general public. We need to find other strategies because it's, it, 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 that's what we need. <laughs>
2: So um, I think that we need multiple registers and balance, and um, so we need all um, activities, you know, civic activities like broadcasting or you know, civic democracy, to include the expressive, connotative, metaphorical registers of the arts, and they need to include the more. Um, rigorous, um, inquiry-based registers of science, and for those things to be interweaving, what we don't want is to have an assumption that there are truths. There is scientific consensus around climate change, but there are also huge uncertainties, and we need to have ways of explaining that those uncertainties are um, absolutely to be expected, and they are part of science, and when we are in the most extraordinary enormity of, of uncertainty about the unfolding impacts of climate change, there's no way that science can ever get it absolutely right. The, the modelling of um, of forest fires is like 80 years wrong. They didn't expect the fire, the scale of fires in Australia for another 80 years. So you know, and it's because of the complexity of modelling. So um, maybe there's a huge role for arts and culture to help really kind of, and ecological arts and culture, to help really understand the systems of life and, and how they are affected dynamically by, by the damage we've done to them. So um, yeah, I want to see arts getting much more involved in science it isn't an either or. Oh, you all. <laughs>
1: um, uh, well, I think I agree with both of them, but everything what you said there, but like um, like added to that from a kind of like, I don't know, maybe this is like a uh, more boring side of things, but like, um, like the work that cultural organisations and artists have done over the like recent decades has influenced change in, uh, for example, like one of the, investment principles of the Arts Council's 10-year strategy from until 2030 um, is environmental responsibility and they have explicitly like put in their strategy that they, they think that we you know as cultural leaders we can influence change uh, not only in how we deliver and what we deliver but also we have access to communities to participants and we yeah, are leaders of social change so we do have the power, Arts Council have recognise that we have the power to change. It's now written into a strategy for the next 10 years. So we should be empowered by that and do it.
4: Thank you. I guess just picking up on what, what you were talking before about um, assessing impacts from, from projects. Um, I think it's interesting because although it's really hard, of course, to assess the impact, it's cultural projects, like anything, have their own carbon footprints. And that's a bit more straightforward to quantify. So I suppose, maybe to some extent, there's a kind of cost-benefit analysis to be done. And I, I, I guess I'm thinking along the lines of there was a bit of, I saw some criticism around the Oliver and Iceberg thing, around uh, people complaining that he had shipped them and saying that wasn't an environmental thing to do. And, and there was sort of some, yeah, and I, I suppose, people are sometimes ready to level a charge of hypocrisy and things like that. So I guess, who, who gets to make that cost-benefit as this? Is that the public or is it the artist? Or, yeah, what, what do you think of that?
3: Well, I could say, I mean, in a way, we are helping to win the argument because Channel 4, Channel 4 had the first debate by the political leader for the first time ever about climate change. So that is a big win. You have in many institutions, separate and now. They have a specific department for ecology. So in a way, we are helping to change. We couldn't, we cannot quantify, but for them there are big steps. You have the Sky, that is they carbon neutral. So carbon neutral vocabulary, these sort of things are becoming much more mainstream. I. I'm very optimistic, and I think, like, for the way the journey we are taking to COP26, it's going to be a big change. It's going to be a make or break. So I think it's improving, but it's very difficult to quantify.
1: Um, well, it's kind of um, from a kind of, a, I suppose, like, obviously, if you're an Arts Council MPO, you can use like Judy's Bicycle platform to analyse any of your projects and to understand the impact um, in terms of like. Uh, your carbon footprint with a project which is very, very useful. Julie's Bicycle I know loads about that, I know less. But um, on a kind of, um, I don't know if this is like an interesting note, but I've been doing quite a lot of work um, uh, in marketing, Particularly, greening like marketing practice. A lot of people think about like the creation of the exhibition or whatever, but they don't think about like the kind of marketing stuff around it. A lot of people are like, "Oh, reduce your print, recycle your leaflet, etc." I've been trying to delve into the world of digital marketing and greening your digital marketing and. Pretty scary, like because like the internet is the 11th big, if it were a country, be the 11th biggest country or consumer of electricity and kind of um, like carbon in the world. So it's like 7% of our whole world's electricity, it's more than the UK the internet consumes basically. It's big. Um, and um, so I'm doing lots of work into trying to like, looking at green hosting, looking at greener ways in which we can clean up our digital. Um, aspect of Arts Admin which is complicated but not expensive so I don't want to discourage you Um, but um, but I do think there's a a lot of things you can do and it's not always the most obvious thing so it's not just about transporting that ice there's so much more around that project that you could look into and analyze and there's so much more kind of I don't know just beyond the kind of what you see in your mind as a carbon footprint Um, um, so yeah I don't think it's as easy to, to kind of judge it, but I, yeah, it's difficult to know whether
2: who evaluates that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, thank you. I feel like I should be responding to what you say, but I've got something I want to say. So, um, um, the other day, there was a film company making a drama in our uh, local area, and they were using our st- studios as a base. And the film crew and cast was enormous, and they'd eaten their lunches on these polystyrene trays. And um, I just got so irritated because I could see these mountains of polystyrene trays, all contaminated with food, all wrapped in horrible plastic bags. And I had a go at the poor old, you know, catering chap. I feel really guilty. And so, you know, it, when we see all this. Crappy stuff around us. It can really be triggering, and it can. We can have endless meetings in our institutions about it, but then we need to really get things into perspective. You know, the Australian fires, the methane emissions are, you know, massively in weeks. In you know, equaling the carbon emissions of whole countries. So, um, you know. We need to get that into perspective, alongside our, you know, maybe the the minuscule um, impact of of some of our activities. But um, that said, what I would really like to see is less angsting about, you know, minimising this temperature or, you know, slightly changing that practice to actually overtly trying to switch to regenerative. You know um, uh, practices. So how can we actually make art that 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 sucks carbon out of the air, that that you know plants trees, that that does permaculture, that you know enables people to eat and thrive while the planet changes, that helps people adapt to extreme weather. So it's not it's not about just reducing the impact, you know, and slowly getting better. We haven't got time for that. Today, Chris Stark, the Committee for Climate Change man, was talking at the We Make Tomorrow seminar, Summit about um, how there's this lovely 10-year window. You know, he said um, um, we, it looks like when we get to, like we might be able to be in the position where we can start to really ramp down and decarbonise by 2030. But but you know that's ambitious. If we're if we're there by 2050, I'll be really happy. And I'm thinking, are you going to be alive? I mean, you know. Do, do, I mean, he's fairly young, but he's not yeah. that young. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're we, you know. Anyway, sorry. Just it's about getting things into perspective, and we are absolutely in the shit. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: Thank you. Um, I think this will be the last question for me before we open up to Q and A. Um, but I suppose just from each of you, it'd be great to hear what sorts of projects are going on at the moment and the ways that people uh, in creative careers can get involved with uh, the green creative projects.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, with Season for Change, we'll be
1: organising like a series of events in uh, all Arts Council regions, probably in Scotland and Wales, just. Working with them to seal the deal, um, um, uh, to yeah, a series of events to kind of like uh, give people uh, or empower arts professionals like yourself to learn more about communicating about climate change and how you can green your yeah, delivery of programs and practices. Um, so please do sign up to the newsletter, and they will all be free and yeah, everywhere and we'd love you to take part. And um, yeah, this is all by the way, like season for change is all, I think um, you mentioned the COP meeting. And for those of you who don't know, it might be worth just explaining what that is and why it's significant. Um, I'm no expert, these two probably are, but it's the UN's climate negotiations, uh, which happens in different countries on different years. And COP26 is happening in Glasgow this year. So it's taking place in, uh, in November in Glasgow, and this is like a kind of like all eyes will be on the UK this November in terms of climate, creative climate action. So it's a really wonderful like time for your organisations to kind of get involved in what will be kind of a mass movement. But also, it's yeah, it's kind of about showing that like the UK is a leader as well in creative climate action. So yes, this and 20, 20,
3: it's called 25, 26. It has been 26 years on, and getting
2: nowhere. So. so. <laughs>
3: Yeah. So you want to... Okay. I would say in Extinction Rebellion this year we want to expand to new people, other audiences. Uh, one of the things we want to do, we are actually launching well, we're launching today but we will we start with tomorrow. We want to invite everybody, all of you, uh under the hashtag 40 days to protect the planet where you commit yourself to one action of your choice to be no car, uh, no means, uh, no flying, whatever you wish. And you show hashtag 40 days to protect the planet. I decide, then you name your action. And a hashtag you decide, yes. And then you the tag six of your friends to commit yourself to the action of your choice. So that's, something start tomorrow and hopefully you are more than welcome. And we are also designed, we have designed a beautiful logo with two parts, obviously being an artist. And anybody can print out and download the logo, print it out, and wear it. So if you see the streets and wearing the same logo, you can ask, which is your action, you have committed yourself for 40 days, so you can talk to strangers. Um, I think
2: your question was about green and creative careers, so I'll try and answer that one specifically, (laughs) that um, I think that we haven't really talked about intergenerational justice as an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea that the ecocidal industries, you know, the complex is stealing from the future, it's discounting the future, Um, and it's essentially stealing it for future generations. And um, and the injustice of that is is mind blowing. Um, And how we help young people um, face that with optimism, enough optimism to keep them going to school and college every day. Um, And maybe we don't. Maybe we support them to strike. Um, But but we do need to support them to have the capacities to thrive in a changing world. And that means really understanding what is needed in situations of crisis. And that means learning from places in, elsewhere in the world where people are being resilient or have been in history. Um, it means being much more kind of interdisciplinary about education um, and thinking about work. It means being less um, money-driven. Um, giving people skills to collaborate, to um, you know, to live without money, um, and that's just a massive, massive transition. To, to expect, so we can't necessarily expect that from schools, and that's maybe why there could be an amazing movement of home-based education, and you know maybe the strikes will trigger that, and more kind of alternative art schools, and and that from that might emerge this kind of merging of of um, ecological and uh, and creative careers, everyone, will need to have an ecological and creative career in order to thrive.
4: Thank you very much. Um, I think we do have a roving mic back there, or maybe just this one. Um, So yeah, uh, any questions? I'll
2: just speak. Yeah. Um, We've spoken a lot about how the arts can be the voice for change. but how can the arts themselves ensure that they're working sustainably? And it'd be interesting to hear some thoughts. Um, I'm coming from a very much classical music point of view. You've just seen two orchestras this week. One get trained to Poland and it took them two days to live in July. And the other trying to become carbon neutral by the 50th anniversary in two years' time. Now. Are you? Do you think we stop travelling internationally altogether? Do we go that extreme? And um, the another angle of the work that we do is CD production, and the plastic wastage from vinyls and CDs is hideous. It's absolutely huge. So it'd be really interesting to hear some views on actually how, instead of working outwards, how internally we could be
1: sustainable. Mm. I think. Um, the conversation, or the question you had, particularly about international travel. As somebody who works for an organisation whose like income comes a lot from international touring, we have a lot of conversations about this all the time. Uh, where possible, we try and use train travel, but obviously we are based on an island. Um, uh, this is much easier for some of our partners in continental Europe to commit to. Um, we have been working on a for the past like 12 years on a kind of EU funded project, which is about um, art and climate change which has brought up a lot of those things and a lot of those conversations um, it's, it's not particularly easy we have carbon offset things but also we just want to sometimes stop travelling as well because uh, um, uh, we've obviously there's various different ways in which meetings can happen via the internet etc um, but uh, yeah but it is definitely a challenge One that, and something that's going on at the moment uh, with Unlimited is a programme a disability arts commissioning programme which we co-deliver with Shape Arts and we're having a really interesting kind of um, live Google document chat um, with uh, disabled artists globally about international travel and travel, if you're a disabled artist, because a lot of the time, the artists that we work with um, who have particular access needs and a wheelchair users have to take taxis. They, it's just how they get around, just how they get to places, and they um, really want to make their practice more sustainable, but because of their access requirements, how do they do that? Um, obviously we can suggest whole different, I don't know, lots of different green ways of travelling but it is a challenge and you just have to, I think it's more, we always think about it, like, have we considered all the ways in which we deliver this project and all the ways in which we could do this project better? And I suppose looking at the different dimensions of that project from travel to the kind of, uh, we have like a green rider which goes with our touring projects where we suggest to the venues that are receiving our work how they could make sure that what's on site, we don't have like a thousand plastic cups, like, uh, or single-use plastic cups waiting for us when we get there, for example. So there's just things that you can do like that maybe, but I'm happy to have a conversation about the intricacies of touring um, in, that, in that way as well. Yeah. yeah, I just want
2: to talk about the value of um, community and encouraging each other. So um, I'm involved in Culture Declare's Emergency and soon after the launch, music declares an emergency came along. But um, um, I just want to uh, tell what happened with, and I can't name the choir, but um, a young singer in a choir contacted me and we had three long phone calls. I kind of coached her to to actually go to the director of the choir and ask for an international tour to be cancelled. Um, <laughs> which is a massive thing. And I was like, well, you, probably, you, think, you realize this probably isn't going to work, but it's worth asking. And it worked! So, you know, um, forming and joining community and encouraging each other to change um, is, is just, you know, yeah, co- you know, co-courage, it's so valuable. Um, but I do also want to say that, um, that we, again, need to get things into perspective because the emissions from flights is actually a very tiny percentage of, of the pie chart. Is it something like 2%? 2.5. 2.5. But they so can't
3: bring the car per passenger. Oh, yeah.
2: 3.5. Okay. <laughs> so, so, in other words, we mustn't obsess about specific things. Don't just think a single action and then you're doing everything you can. You know, look at the whole spectrum.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. Different people have got different, different realities in life. Uh, there are a lot of celebrities that have extinction revenue to get them. you know Emma Thompson, yes, she went in the big boat and she flew all the weapon LA and people would say, Shame on you, because you are here to lecture change, blah blah blah
2: by the scale of fires in Australia for another eighty years. So, you know, and it's because of the complexity of modelling. So um maybe there's a huge role for arts and culture to help really kind of, and ecological arts and culture, to help really understand the systems of life and, and how they are affected dynamically by, by the damage we've done to them. So um, yeah, I want to see arts getting much more involved in science. There isn't an either-or. Oh, you've got it <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I think I agree with both of them, but everything what you said there, but like um, like added to that from a kind of like, I don't know, maybe this is like a uh, more boring side of things, but like, um, like the work that cultural organisations and artists have done over the like recent decades has influenced change in, uh, for example, like one of the four investment principles of the Arts Council's 10-year strategy from until 2030 um, is environmental responsibility. and they have explicitly like put in their strategy that they, they think that we you know as cultural leaders we can influence change uh, not only in how we deliver and what we deliver, but also we have access to communities to participants and we yeah are leaders of social change. So we do have the power arts council recognize that we have the power to change it's now written into a strategy for the next 10 years so we should be empowered by that and do it
4: thank you i guess just picking up on what what you talked before about um, assessing impacts from from projects Um, i think it's interesting because although it's really hard of course to assess the impact it's cultural projects like anything have their own carbon footprints and that's a bit more straightforward to quantify so i suppose maybe to some extent there's a kind of cost-benefit analysis to be done. And I, I, I guess I'm thinking along the lines of there was a bit of... I saw some criticism around the Oliver and Iceberg thing, around I mean, people people complaining that he had shipped them and saying that wasn't an environmental thing to do, and, and there was sort of some... Yeah, and I, I suppose people are sometimes ready to level a charge of hypocr- hypocrisy, and things like that. So I guess... Who, who gets to make that cost benefit access? Is that the public or is it the artist? Yeah, what, what do you think of that? Well, I could say, I mean, in a
3: way, we are helping to win the argument because Channel 4, Channel 4 uh, had the first debate by the political leader for the first time ever about climate change. So that's a big win. You have many institutions, separate and gallery Now they have a specific department for ecology. So in a way, we are helping to change. We couldn't, we cannot quantify, but for them there are big steps. You have the sky that is going to be carbon neutral. So carbon neutral vocabulary, these sort of things are becoming much more mainstream. I, I'm very optimistic, and I think like for the way the journey we are taking to COP26, it's going to be a big change. It's going to be a make or break. So I Thank think it's, it's improving, but it's very difficult to quantify. Um.
1: Well, it's kind of um, from a kind of a I suppose like obviously if you're an arts council MPO, you can use like Julie's Bicycle platform to analyse any of your projects and to understand the impact um, in terms of like. Uh, your carbon footprint with a project, which is very very useful. Jimmy's bicycle knows loads about that. I know less, but um, on a kind of um, I don't know if this is like an interesting note. But I've been doing quite a lot of work um, uh, in marketing, particularly in greening, like marketing practice. A lot of people think about like. The creation of the exhibition or whatever, but they don't think about like the kind of marketing stuff around it. A lot of people are like, "Oh, reduce your print, recycle your leaflet, etc." I've been trying to delve into the world of digital marketing and greening your digital marketing and. Pretty scary, like, because like the internet is the 11th thing, if it were a country, the 11th biggest country or consumer of electricity and kind of um, like carbon in the world. So it's like 7% of our whole world's electricity, it's more than the UK, the internet consumes basically. It's big. Um, and um, so I'm doing lots of work into trying to like, looking at green hosting, looking at greener ways in which we can clean up our digital. Um, aspect of Arts Admin which is complicated but not expensive so I don't want to discourage you Um, but um, but I do think there's a a lot of things you can do and it's not always the most obvious thing so it's not just about transporting that ice there's so much more around that project that you could look into and analyze and there's so much more kind of I don't know just beyond the kind of what you see in your mind as a carbon footprint Um, um, so yeah I don't think it's as easy to, to kind of judge it, but I, yeah, it's difficult to know whether who evaluates that. Mm. Indeed.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, thank you. I feel like I should be responding to what you say, but I've got something I want to say. So, um, um, the other day, there was a film company making a uh, drama in our uh, local area, and they were using our st- studios as a base. And the film crew and cast was enormous and they'd eaten their lunches on these polystyrene trays and um, I just got so irritated because I could see these mountains of polystyrene trays all contaminated with food wrapped in horrible plastic bags and I had a go at the poor old you know catering chap I feel really guilty and so you know it when we see all this crappy stuff around us it can really be triggering and it can we can have endless meetings in our institutions about it but then we need to really get things into perspective you know the australian fires the methane emissions are you know massively in weeks in you know equaling the carbon emissions of whole countries so um, you know We need to get that into perspective, alongside our, you know, maybe the the minuscule um, impact of of some of our activities. But um, that said, what I would really like to see is less angsting about, you know, minimising this temperature or, you know, slightly changing that practice, to actually overtly trying to switch to regenerative. You know um, uh, practices. So how can we actually make art that 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 sucks carbon out of the air, that that you know plants trees, that, that does permaculture, that you know enables people to eat and thrive while the planet changes, that helps people adapt to extreme weather. So it's not it's not about just reducing the impact, you know, and slowly getting better. We haven't got time for that. Today, Chris Stark, the Committee for Climate Change man, was talking at the We Make Tomorrow seminar, Summit about um, how there's this lovely 10-year window. You know, he said um, um, we, it looks like when we get to, like we might be able to be in the position where we can start to really ramp down and decarbonise by 2030. But but you know that's ambitious. If we're if we're there by 2050, I'll be really happy. And I'm thinking, are you going to be alive? I mean, you know. I mean, he's fairly young, but he's not (laughs) that young. (laughs) You know, we're we're you know anyway. Sorry. Just it's about getting things into perspective, and we are absolutely in the shit. Sorry. (laughs)
0: you've been listening to the young people in the arts podcast talks discussions and thinking intended to power change in the next generation of arts leaders to find out more visit ypia.co.uk follow ypia underscore uk on twitter or alternatively find us on facebook and instagram